You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing today, City Church Downtown? That's what I'm talking about. Uh, so before we get into the Bible study today, uh, we're going to pray here in just a second. But before we bow our heads and pray, uh, I need to kind of talk to those of you that are new with us, those of you that perhaps a friend invited you, but maybe you, you had a hot girlfriend, she made you come or whatever. But uh, anyways, I'm so glad that you came if you're a spiritual investigator and uh, we're going to pray in a minute. I'm going to invite you to pray, not like out loud on a microphone or anything weird like that, but just in your own heart between you and God and just ask him if he's there, if he's for real, if, he, if he'd show himself to you or kind of somehow spiritually connect and communicate with you because God's very creative in the way that by his spirit he connects. And as we pray also, those of us that already know Christ um, and have a relationship with him, we're praying that God like says something, does something, does. Because how many of you don't want to just come to church just to kind of jump through a religious religious hoop today out of ritual. How many of you really want to come, you know, experience something from God today? So let's bow uh, before the Lord right now. And first is for those of you that are spiritual investigators, uh, perhaps all of us would be comfortable to just put our hand out to receive from the Lord today and just say, Lord, um, are you really there? Are you like someone that would reveal yourself to me? And God, I want to invite you to somehow connect with me today because I could really use you right now. Those of us that know God and have a relationship with him, it's like, God, we don't want to just like go through the, the motions today. We don't want to just go through the ritual today. But as your word is read and presented and taught today, would you speak to me? Would you connect and communicate with me and kind of show me something I'm supposed to do? And some are hurting today, and it's like, God, would you please connect with me? Because I just need the energy to get through today. And God, we thank you for how you're going to connect with us through your holy word. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. amen. Well, when I was a much younger dude, um, I, uh, I started like in, in high school following Christ. Now, there's a difference between having a ticket to heaven and really following Christ. Some of you know that, right? And uh, prior to that time, I just kind of had my ticket to heaven. Um, I wasn't really trying to follow the Lord. But when I got in high school, I went through a big change in my life. And I was really going for it, trying to walk with the Lord. And I was reading my Bible. And it's so weird because my Bible, like, all of a sudden came alive to me. Any of you have ever experienced that? It's like, the, you know, you just thought it was like some old crusty history book or something. But then all of a sudden, you start reading it when you're willing to obey it and God's doing something in your life and it's like the word comes alive. Well, I was reading one day and this verse, it, it seemed like it just leaped off the page at me. I mean, it was another level kind of inspiration um, and it was this verse. I want to show it to you today. It's uh, Ecclesiastes. By the way, Ecclesiastes written this dude by, by the name of Solomon, really wise person. Um, and he says in chapter 12, verse one of his book, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and no longer enjoy living. And so he's saying there, follow God while you're still young, while you still have the energy to follow him. And if we were to read the rest of that passage, you know what else it says there? It says, 
follow God, honor your creator before you get old and your eyes start to get dim and you can't see and before your teeth fall out, before you lose your sex drive and then you die. That's like really in the Bible, okay? Um, I'm not making this stuff up. And so I thought to myself as a young dude, as a teenager, I was like, I really am, I wanna do this. I wanna serve God while I'm young, before my eyes grow dim and I have to get another pair of goofy frames, you know, and uh, before my teeth fall out and some of the other stuff that happens in that passage, you know, um, I want to follow God. So what I did was I devoted myself to try and reach teenagers. And so I did youth ministry and college ministry uh, because I love the next generations. And uh, as long as I'm here, city youth and kid city will always be a priority because we love students here and younger people. Um, So I was motivated to reach them. And during those early years of my ministry, what I noticed is, is that there were all these business books being generated and also, you know, books written to pastors and faith leaders um, about the generations. And they were pumping these books out to kind of categorize people in generations so they could market to them is the bottom line. But I think there's some wisdom in some of these resources because they show us the historical events and the cultural norms that shape our thinking and our consciousness. So um, first, I want to start out talking about the builder generation. Some have called them the greatest generation. They're born typically between uh, 1901, 1945. Do we have any from the builder generation who are here today? We had got some right down here. Yes, right on. We ought to give, a, give them a hand for being like that and other services here. And here's the thing. Can I ask you all, have your kids or your grandkids ever called you cheap? and like hoarders and stuff like that. Okay, like, uh, so some of you, you think that the greatest generation and builder generations are cheap hoarders, but you know why that they save more stuff? Because their consciousness was shaped by a real depression, like the Great Depression. And so they learned how to be frugal. They learned how to be rough and tumble. They learned how to make things work. They like learned how to fix stuff, you know what I mean? And they truly are uh, a rugged generation that all of us owe a debt to for the freedoms that they won for us and have protected for us throughout uh, their lives. And they kind of, I'll tell you this little secret as I've kind of listened to them talk, because you know how the older people get, the more they lose their filter and they just start saying whatever, you know? And I've heard uh, my parents and others, you know, grandparents, all these people um, say, say how wimpy all the other generations are compared to what they had to endure. And so they're really tough. But then next came the baby boomers. How many baby boomers do I have here today? Born between 1946 and 1964. Get your hands up. Baby boomers. Got a bunch of baby boomers in here. Good, good number of you baby boomers in here. Um, you guys are the largest generation. You grew up uh, and experienced the civil rights movement. You also experienced the sexual revolution. Um, now that you're older, you're experiencing the Viagra revolution, you know, but uh, <laughs> love having fun with you. But you guys were all about personal Fulfillment, you know, that's why you went to Woodstock and you grew up uh, with rock and roll and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. And what happened was, and how many of you remember these days, is that your parents, baby boomers, they thought that you're a bunch of hippies because they didn't understand all this 
individual thinking, you know, and self-fulfillment, but uh, they see you growing out your hair, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You had long hair, now it's all falling out, but they're, they're, they called you a bunch of hippies, right? Uh, remember those days, baby boomers? Well, then after the baby boomers came Generation X. That would be the group that I fall in, and uh, we're born between 1965 and 1980. How many Xers do I have? That's what I'm talking about. That's my people. Uh, down here, but marketers couldn't care less about us because we don't make up a large enough demographic to market uh, products, goods, and services to. So nobody cares about us, but we care about us. And I'm one, so I'm going to talk about it just for a minute, if you'll just let me do that uh, just for a minute. We're known as the MTV generation because we grew up on MTV, didn't we? And uh, younger people, MTV used to have like music on it. is is what they they had on there. And we grew up with the AIDS epidemic and we remember Watergate when we were little children. We grew up with personal computers. We were latchkey kids because uh, our parents were the first generation that had a lot of divorces because of no fault divorce laws changing. And so a lot of us had to use the key around our neck to get into the house because both mom and dad were at work. The baby boomers thought we were a bunch of slackers and we would come into the marketplace having to cover up our little tattoos and, you know, pull our earrings out so that we could get jobs and things like this. But even though uh, no marketers really care about us, Generation X, we grew up in the golden age of video games. How many can give me an amen on that one, right? It's like, I'm talking about asteroids. I'm talking about Defender. I'm talking about Dig Dug. Can I get an amen for Pac-Man? Waka, 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 man. That was the golden age of gaming. But after us, came you-know-who, the millennials. How many millennials I got here born between 81 and 1994? You people are everywhere. (laughs) Second largest generation in this country. And in a couple of years, millennials, you guys are going to dominate the marketplace. You will be the largest uh, generation in the marketplace. Millennials, you guys are not just tech savvy, you're tech dependent. Um, You grew up with the internet terrorism. You want instant gratification. That's why you want that Amazon box on your front porch like an hour after you ordered it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You want authenticity. You don't like the big box stores, but you like the small boutiques. You don't like mass produced stuff. You like more crap things. So it's like you're not drinking Budweiser, you're drinking crap beer. Uh, Millennials are uh, keeping that going. Um, Now, here's something's funny to me is that sometimes, you know, it's like that comedian says that the older millennials will gather the younger ones together and say, oh, young ones, because a lot of you millennials are like in your 30s now and you're married and some of you have kids, you know, and you gather the younger ones around. You're like, oh, come to Papa, right? And you say, I remember the days when my wife and I met on MySpace. (laughs) She was in my top five but you had to meet on Tinder. Oh, young ones. I remember back in the day, see? So uh, that's the millennial generation. And one of the things that I really love about you millennials is you guys like authenticity. So you don't want people to market at you all the time. You know, it's kind of funny to me because you're like, uh, you look at an ad or you look at some marketing materials and you smile and you laugh and say, isn't that cute? The baby boomers are trying to sell something to, to me, you know? Uh, isn't it funny how they think they can get me to buy their, their lame crap, you know? So anyways, that you, you're, you like things authentic. In fact, 
I didn't really understand this about millennials. And then there was uh, the, the Rivard Report, which is a downtown blog, um, did an article on our church, and it was called Where Millennials Worship in San Antonio. Well, Becca McNeil was the reporter who did the story, and she came to interview me, and she came to visit our church. And when we sat down and talked, she said, uh, Doug, how are you targeting millennials? And I said, uh, uh, we're not targeting millennials. I don't know what you know. I don't know why they come. And so she visited, and she writes this in her article. Here's what it said: When visitors arrive at City Church downtown on Sunday morning, they won't see someone who looks like them strategically placed at the door to make them feel comfortable. Young people love that. Millennials crave authenticity, which by definition can't be manufactured. And so I think that's why we get along, uh, millennials, because I'm not going to pander to you, okay? Uh, but anyways, then there's Generation Z. Now, I'm excited about Generation Z. How many of you were born between 1995 and 2012? Get those hands up. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are not messing around. Now, you guys were born, uh, you're the digital natives because you don't know what life is like before the internet at all. You don't even know what it's like. Yeah, unfortunately, here's the, the downside to Generation Z is what a lot of the researchers are finding are these high levels, and you guys know this because you're friends at school, high levels of depression, anxiety, and unhappiness due to uh, tech addictions and the like. Um, you guys are realists, and the reason that you see the world with a realist kind of lens is because... Um, you lived through the 2009 recession, and so you know that it can be a hard world out there. You know it can be a dangerous world out there. One of the things that I read about Generation Z is that you're less likely to get your driver's license around 16 or 17. You probably don't need it. You just ride one of those bird scooters around. Yeah, I don't know what you do, but um, there, actually you have to have a driver's license to do those. But uh, Generation Z is less likely to get their driver's license, uh, to get part-time jobs in their teens, and also to drink alcohol and go on dates. So um, isn't that how people go on dates? They drink alcohol and people are getting together. But um, anyways, you guys are a very diverse and interconnected you're the most diverse of the generations, Generation Z, and you're the most passionate about matters of equality. Um, you spend more time connected with friends electronically and less time hanging out with friends in person. So we're really just glad that you left your bedroom today to come to church. I mean, we're really uh, glad you got out of your room. Uh, the thing I love about Generation Z is that you guys are fiercely independent and you're very open to spiritual things. The numbers are clear that lar the largest percentage of Generation Z is very open to God, and I think that's a great sign. Uh, but how should we view all this generational thinking? Because we all know we are different from generation to generation. I mean, there are certain parts of human beings that we're all the same, and in some sense, you know, we all need certain things, but we are a little bit different in the way they th we think. And Teenagers, how many of you know that, you know, your parents are driving you crazy sometimes, aren't they? And, you know, right now, that's what I'm doing to my kids. I drive them crazy. I'm trying to give them something to talk about in therapy someday, you know, and I'm doing my best at that. And uh, older generations, we know that our kids drive us crazy. Why don't they leave their room? You know, what's going why won't they talk to me? So anyways, um, uh, how should we think about this? Well, I want to take you to the Bible um, in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 17. It says, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And because of this truth, here's the one idea I want to submit to you today. Is that the visions of the young and the dreams of the old create the beauty of the future. And so as I speak this again out loud, I'm going to get your help on this one idea. I'm going to divide you up in two different groups. Those who are below 50 years old, 49 and below, and those of you that are 50 and above. And so when I say the phrase, visions of the young, those, I want those of you that are below 50 years old to say that part of the idea, visions of the young. And when we say dreams of the old, those of you that are over 50, I want you to say dreams of the old. And then together we'll say, create the beauty of the future. Are you ready to try this? Cool. The and the create the beauty of the future. See how we all played along together? Wasn't that great? Yeah, that was good. Polite smattering of applause. But what I've noticed in churches is they get it. Some churches do one of two things: um, mistakes related to the generations. Okay, number one is churches that neglect older generations lack the wisdom of those who are older. And then the second problem is those churches that neglect younger generations lack energy of the young and eventually die because, you know, they don't have any young people in their churches. And I remember uh, I was reading this guy who had an audience with a lot of church leaders who were younger, like all these young church, and they were creating these generational ministries that were just for young people. And here's what the author said about them. Some churches are really just college ministries that call themselves churches. They don't have members, disciples, elders, or sacrificial giving. They are extending youth ministry into the 30s, and they're just providing another business where disgruntled customers get goods and services perpetuating the narcissistic cycle indefinitely. And isn't that the truth about ministries that only will focus on the young and not include older generations? generations to be a part of the family. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about spiritual family, how we're all supposed to be uh, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons, or daughters. We're not a franchise. We're a family here, right? Um, But um, one of the things that I noticed too um, is that a lot of older churches, some of you know this, they love their traditions more than they love their children. You follow me? Um, They are so tightly controlling their congregations and their faith environments that they never empower or include younger generations. And I experienced this a bit when I was a younger person. In fact, uh, I was on the team of four guys that started the first city church over on Bandera Road. And when we were about to start that church, I mean, we we had no people, no buildings, no nothing. And we were going to start a church And a relative of mine from out of state called us and did everything he could to convince us to not start another church. And he's saying, man, don't leave your denomination to start a church that's non-denomination. Don't uh, start this church that includes young people, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You need to just stay under our control or whatever. And we went ahead and started the church. And his church, which was thriving, you know, over a 1,000 people in it, um, today is dead and dwindled to hardly anything. And we've got three churches that are thriving now. And what happened was, in those days, and some of you remember it, that older people, they had been successful at what they had done, but they were just never willing 
to share with younger generations, include and empower uh, younger generations. And one of the things that I love about our church is that I was talking with a friend about not too long ago. I've got this friend that's a state representative, and she came to our services a couple of times. And after services, we were talking and chatting as we were walking outside. And um, she said, you know, Doug, I really love the diversity at your church. And I thought um, that she was probably going to be talking about the racial diversity or there are just all kinds of different people in here, right? But she said, you have every generation represented in this church down here. She was talking about generational diversity, and I think generational diversity is a significant issue for churches and organizations of every sort. And what we got to maintain is that the visions of the young, the dreams of the old will create together the beauty of the future. Now, what I want you to understand, older generations, is that if you're not dead, you're not done. And what you're being made to feel, many of you who are over 40 are being made to fear feel like you're being put out to pasture, like your best days are behind you, and that is absolutely not true. Here at City Church, we're seeking to uh, honor people of every age. Age and experience are gonna be honored here, and we see that in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. Look, it says, gray hair is a crown of glory. (laughs) My crown's getting more glory in it every day, man. So is my beard. Some of you who are older and you have that, your hair is starting to get gray and all of that, people pay good money for those kind of highlights, you know? And so you're just on the road to being a silver fox. So stay on the road there. Just thank God if you have hair, you know? But this church is a place uh, where the older can mentor the younger, just like the Bible says in First and Second Timothy and also in Titus, City Church is not just going to be one of those young hip churches where uh, we're just seeking to put everybody out to pasture who's over 50 and all of that, but we're going to be a community that embraces everyone regardless of age. And look, Jesus had pretty harsh words for people that didn't honor, love, care for their parents and older generations. In fact, there was this group of religious leaders in the New Testament of the Bible, and they played what's called the Corban, I'm going to call it the Corban card. Do we know what Corban is? It was kind of a loophole in the New Testament days, a religious loophole. And what people would do is younger people, you know, maybe in their 20s or 30s or whatever, they would take their money, their resources, their land or whatever, and they would claim Corban over it. And that means devoted to God. And so it's like that money was devoted to God. So they couldn't use that money anymore to help their parents out. Their aging parents who perhaps didn't have any retirement money. They didn't have retirement 401ks and all that kind of stuff back in those days. And their parents relied upon their kids for their, you know, food and shelter and to care for them. And uh, younger people would call Corban on it. And even though that money was supposed to be dedicated to God, they would regularly just use the money for themselves and bail out on their parents. And look at what Jesus says about this in Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 11. It says, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you. And look how spiritual they try and sound. For I have vowed to give God what I could have given you. You let them disregard their needy parents as such. You break the law of God in order to protect your own traditions. Look, let's be a people that cares for our parents. Let's be a people that honors gray hair and aging and wisdom You know, I love stories in the Bible about how Jesus fulfilled this when he was dying on the cross. He took care of his mother. He sent John to take care of his mother. I love stories in the Bible like that of 
Abraham and Sarah and God had promised them to have a baby. And Sarah really wanted a baby. She didn't have any kids. And in those days, it was a real shame if you couldn't have children, you know. And um, they were getting up in years, and they didn't have any children. And they were like these sexy senior citizens, you know, cruising around the Holy Land in an RV or something like that. And they were thinking, man, are we ever going to have children? But all of a sudden, God fulfilled the promise, and the child was born. And as Isaac is born through his family line, Jesus would be born to die for our sins, see? Because they're aging dreamers. And I want to give some of you permission to dream again about a future that God wants to, a future dream that God wants to realize in and through your life, no matter your age. I really love this guy that just passed away this last year. His name was Bob Buford, and he wrote a really great book called Halftime. And here's the point of the book, Halftime. He was very successful. He made billions of dollars by the time he was 40, 50 years old. And at midlife, he realized, I've got a whole nother life to invest. Because of wellness these days, people can live to 80, 90 years old. So if you're at 50 or 60 years old, you may have 30 more years to invest for the kingdom of God. And so what Bob Buford realized is, what am I going to do with the second half of my life? And he moved from, and many are moving from just having success to having significance now in the second half of their life. And Bob Buford challenges retirees and uh, people in older generations to uh, catch a dream for the second half of your life. Dream again. Look, older generations... Do you want to just pull up your pants over your belly button and live to enforce the rules at Del Boca Vista retirement community somewhere? <laughs> you know, you want to just go fishing every day and play golf all the time? It's fun for a while, but it will leave you wanting. You know, some people, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go to the coast and pick up seashells, have a great seashell collection, you know? Well, you've earned the right to relax a little bit, no doubt. But do you want to stand before God someday with a bunch of seashells? When you could have invested in younger generations and handed off your wisdom and discipled others for the kingdom of God. You know, I love some of the aging servants that are in our church. I think about one woman I met few years ago, her name's Angie, and she came to faith in Christ in her late 70s, and she got baptized, and I'll never forget what she said. It's time to get busy. I better get busy, see? I also think about our last baptism that happened right here in the Cameo Theater, and a woman named Gloria was baptized right here in the theater, and there she is on screen with her son, David, and Gloria got baptized at 94 years old. Right on. How cool is that? We honor those who choose to serve God and lay down their lives in their later years. So if you're wondering what I want you to do, those of you that are older, I want to ask you and encourage you to dream again and perhaps sign up today to serve in some capacity 
We've got children that are worshiping next door right now that could use your insights and wisdom, and you can serve in all sorts of volunteer roles around the church. And those of you that are younger, I'm asking you to honor and love those who are older and perhaps call them today. Now, millennials and Generation Z, there's this feature on your phone I'm about to tell you about. <laughs> it's like, it's called a call. You don't just text. Don't text your older ones. They, they don't, they, it freaks them out, right? You, know, you, you get technology frustration. You ever do that? You try and text the older ones and you know, they don't get it and all that. Use the, like, you can actually hear their voice. You can call and you can hear their voice through the phone. You don't have to send little words and stuff like that. I talked to my mom yesterday on the phone and then she freaked me out after that. She went to the beauty shop, <laughs> beauty shop, right? And she sends me a selfie of her new haircut. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're in your 80s, mother. We don't text me a selfie. What's wrong with you, woman? <laughs> but you know, part of our role, older generations, is to mentor the younger. And that's precisely what Jesus did. He empowered younger generations. Did you know that the disciples were teenagers? The best historians and biblical background experts tell us that Rabbis, Jewish rabbis of that day would take teenagers to be their disciples, and they might have included one or two older guys. So Peter was probably one of the older ones, but the rest of the disciples, they're not like those pictures we see in churches where the disciples are all these old dudes with beards and stuff like that. They were teenagers, and one of them was a guy named Philip. And you got to understand, Philip was from a little podunk village called Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a fishing village. Maybe 600 people lived there, um, and they were in poverty. And by, their, by the time they get into their 20s, they're losing some of their teeth because of poor diets and nutrition. And by the time they're 40, they're either, they're either dead or close to dying uh, because they were in such poverty and their nutrition was so bad. And Jesus um, trains up this teenage boy named Philip and gave him a vision to go to the big city. And so Philip went to a city called Heropolis. Do we know about Heropolis? It's a place in Asia Minor. And it was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. I mean, the Roman soldiers would go to Heropolis to soak in the hot baths after they'd been in battle. And they would go to the brothels there. And they would go to party with prostitutes and all kind of crazy wild stuff in that ancient day. And so this little kid from Podunk Nowhere, who's a Jewish Orthodox kid, goes to the big city filled with party animals when he gets there, he sees what's called the Domitian Gate. See, the emperor Domitian believed that he was God. And you, when you walk through the Domitian Gate, that's your statement that Caesar or Domitian is God. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. But Christ followers don't play that, do we? We don't say anyone's God except for Jesus. Jesus is the only Lord. And so you know what Philip would do with his little kids by this time? He'd walk around the gate. But his kids are probably scared to death because what they know is, is that if you don't go through the gate and say that the Caesar is Lord, then they will crucify you in front of your family. And so they're scared to death. I imagine Philip says, kids, don't worry. I saw my rabbi feed 5,000 people. I think we're going to be okay. Well, they were not okay. They would not go through the Domitian gate 
and Philip and his children were executed. And if you go to Asia Minor today and you go to Heropolis, you will see a monument. It just looks like, looks like a pile of rocks to us today. I brought a picture of what's called uh, the Martyrium in Heropolis. And that Martyrium was built for Philip. And you know why it was built? Because Heropolis changed from the Vegas of the ancient world to a thriving center for Christ's followers and Jesus' followers. And how did that come to pass? Because Jesus invested in a young person. A young person who had kingdom DNA and was willing to lay down his life. Are there still people like that? Are there still Christians that really want to lay down their lives? Are we just the Christians that want like good cushy seats and pastors that tell us what our itching ears want to hear? Remember Bonifer, who had to stand up to the Nazis and he wrote this classic book, The Cost of Discipleship? And he says, when Christ calls a man, he calls him, come, bids him come and die. Is there like one young person that's willing to get out of your room and lay down your life for the cause of Jesus Christ? Or is that something from the past? Are there any old dreamers that would say, yeah, I'm gonna serve God. I'm gonna give him my life. I'm gonna be a living sacrifice for God. He calls us to be willing to die. I'm not talking about some weird cult drink Kool-Aid kind of die. I'm talking about laying down our lives as living sacrifices and serving and loving. What's this church going to be in 50 or 100 years? What's this inner city going to be in 50 or 100 years? Young people, maybe one of you will be standing on this stage when I'm dead and gone. And we hope to empower you with that and hand you the keys to the car. Now, one of the things that I understand is that every week God brings people here, young and old, every age, who he's drawing to himself. The kingdom is made to expand always, and God is always speaking. He's always loving. He's always drawing his kids to himself. And some of you think, how in the world did I end up in a church today? And just by a strange series of circumstances, a friend brought you here. Um, someone in your family brought you here. You stumbled in here. You were, for whatever reason, open to coming. And I think I may know part of the reason is that God, by his spirit, is drawing you to love relationship with him. And some of you think, and look, some of you are, have thought this way for a long time. You've thought that God is up there in the heavenly realm somewhere with a hammer ready to just squish you for all the dumb stuff you've ever done in your life. And that is not God's heart for you. I'm here to tell you today that there is a God that is like crazy in love with you. And he's just been nudging you a little bit towards himself. And you know, why not today start a relationship with this good God that loves you and cares about you so much? It's real simple to do. If you really look at the Bible, what you'll find in the New Testament of the Bible is that if you just simply believe, believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, that's how you get into a relationship with God. Unfortunately, you've thought your whole life and you've got to retrain your mind on this. 
You've thought your whole life that to get a relationship with God had something to do with counting a bunch of religious beads or uh, going to some classes at the church or you had to earn it, but that is not true. He says, as many as receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. The classic verse in the gospel is John three sixteen that God so loved the world. You know who that means? It means you. God so loved you that he gave his son that whoever believes in him Did it say he who gives to the poor or he who serves down at the church or gives money to people or this? No, it's a he who believes will have. What kind of life? Eternal, everlasting life. Let's pray. As we bow before the Lord, maybe someone would connect with God in your divine appointment today. I want you to just talk to him. You don't have to talk to him out loud because I don't want to embarrass you. But just in your own heart, if you want a love relationship with God, just say something like this, just between you and him, God, I know I've sinned, but I received the good news that when Jesus died on that cross, he died there to pay the penalty for my sin. And so, God, I welcome you into my life. Come in. Father, I thank you for those that just prayed that. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps there are those of the younger generation who would say, I'll be that one that will really do it. I'll be the one who's not just going to get a ticket into heaven, but I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord and be willing to give him these young years, these best years of my life. Young people, just get your hands up right now if you're willing to do that. If you're willing to say, I'm really gonna follow him. I'm really gonna do it. Just put a hand up real quick. Good, good. All over this room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the awesome young people. Older people who are willing to dream again, get your hands up. Older people who are willing to dream again and say, I'm going to stand before God with something better than a seashell collection. Thank you bless them. You've seen our hands and our hearts and our prayers. Lord Jesus, you're so kind and we thank you for it. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.